0: How do you feel about the state of the music scene in Houston nowadays versus the way it was back then? Uh, right now I would just say we're at a very low point because our new talent is low. You know, you need new talent to keep it going. It's only so long we're going to keep watching 40 and 50-year-old men out here singing these same old <laughs> songs we've been hearing for 30 years. So. Yeah. Right. You know, we need some youngsters to come up and, you know, and represent the city. But one of the problems with the youngsters, they don't want to listen to any advice from any old heads. They think our way was the old way, but they're still not listening. Even if you're going to change some things, you got to listen to somebody who did it before you. It's kind of like with your parents. They tell you stuff, I done live this life that you're trying to lead, you know, and we don't listen and we bump our heads, you know. if somebody going to give me some game that's going to help me not bump my head as much. I'm going to try and listen. And I'm going to still turn it and do my own thing, but I'm going to remember that, oh, I was told this before it happened. <laughs> and it's Fresh. And I got my partner, Crown Bomber Clyde. Bomber Clyde, where you at? Right here, homie. You know the deal. And I got my other partner, Crown Danky. Where you at? What he do? What he do, Fresh? Chilling, jelly, chilling. Jelly. So, Hip Hop here is our guest this evening in the straight out of Houston. He's the CEO of the legendary Big Time Records. He's one of the original moguls who helped push and mold the Houston hip-hop way from behind the scenes. He's known for putting on legendary acts such as the Honorable UGK, South Park Coalition, Point Blank, PSK-13, and the classic, untouchable, unforgettable DJ Scoop. 3 in the morning. He's here to tell us his story and everything that he has going on nowadays. So Hip Hop Heads, give it up for the Honorable Russell Washington. What's going on, Russell? Hey, how's it going, man? Great. Yeah, just great to have you on the show, man, and, uh, Get into it, man. You know, what part of you from, and what made you want to get into music? Uh, I'm from the Southwest, man, and uh, I had a store a couple years, and um, I just had saved up a little money, and I just wanted to try, man. It honestly was just a try. Right. I wanted to see what the experience was to just do a record, and I tried to put up a sign, and first group showed up was UGK, so the rest is history. Right. So... Um, Uh, When when you first met UGK, you know what what was they like, man? Uh, It it was originally Pimp C and Big Mitch, right? Well, yeah, Mitch was in the group, but uh, when I my first experience of meeting them, it was just it was just Pimp and Bun, but it was actually four of them, man. You know, I forget the other guy's name, but I I mean it was four guys, and uh, by the time we started recording, which was a little later after we met, it just had dwindled down to just Bun and Pimp. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so <clears throat> what was it like when um uh, when they was putting putting together the certain way uh be, be, y'all expect for it to become as big as it did when y'all had dropped tell me something good? No nah, man, actually we, we really did now. I mean we didn't have no expectations because it was the first for all of us, man. We was just trying. I had never did a record and you know, it was their first record, but I we believed but, you know, you never know with a record until you put it out there and everybody else starts telling you what they feel. Right. So what was the atmosphere like when, when the popularity had popped off uh, and everybody was playing there? Tell me something good with it. It was great. <laughs> I mean, it, I can tell you <laughs> the first experience of me and my ex-wife and Bob well, in the car and hearing the song on the radio the first time. And was. We thought it was great we thought it was great it was you know man I don't know how you can really explain the feeling but it was just it felt like the greatest day of your life man yeah right yeah so do do you have any memorable stories of them? uh dealing with him for you know anything that just that's memorable that stands out in your mind man I just think it was uh I got a lot of memories, man, but, uh, you know, unfortunately they ain't all good, but it's just, you know, it's just part of the business, man. It's a business thing. And when you're young like that, man, I I mean, to me, I'm more, I think my greatest memory of, of it was our first show that we got paid, man, and watching two little young guys and me and some more friends. And we drove all the way to Louisiana to make $180. We was happy, you know, and, it was, <laughs> yeah. and and we trying to divide that up and they like, Russ, we got to give you something. And I'm saying some of what, you know, but that's when it was all fun, man. You know, at the start, it was all yeah. fun laying down the track and trying to get the record right and going from to a studio, not liking it, going to another studio. The guy messed up and he busts out laughing as he then deleted the whole thing and we like, what? We've been in here eight wow. hours, though. But through it all, man, we was able to laugh and joke, and it wasn't. It wasn't. It was just like you, you know, when you're young and you're doing something, man, and it's like it's fun. And then the rest comes after. You know, when you, yeah. you hit number one on the radio, the whole thing changed. Every all the birds start chirping and telling you what what you should be doing or what they could did for so you. Yeah, everybody can say that afterwards. Exactly. It's the person who says at first, you know. But you know, when it comes down to you know, at the end, it's always about numbers and money. So right, right. But it was the whole process of making re- the record was was the best part for me. Right. And so then after that, y'all ended up getting the deal with with Jive Records. But before Jive Records, that signed y'all. It was it was a whole school of labels that was wanting to sign y'all, right? Yeah, man. Actually, uh, we had put out the record, and uh, within about, I would say, the first, like, two or three weeks, Nasty Mix sent us a $15,000 contract over the fax. And we was like, I ain't going to lie, because I sold music. I was a big kid sensation and Sir Mix-a-Lot of fans. so I knew yeah, was Nasty yeah, Mix. Yeah. But right. I knew $15,000 was not going to overwhelm Make It wasn't something that we was going to sign to. That just seemed very low. I mean, because we had put that much into it ourselves. So we didn't didn't take that. And then it was later, a few people called, and nothing really happened. But the two people who showed the most interest was uh, Polygram and Jive. They was like in a bidding war for it. Wow. Yeah, and, and then with Jive, you know, how can I put it? I was looking at... You know, a lot of the acts that was on Jive with UGK at that time and the acts that had came later on, uh, from from my point of view, it just seemed like Jive didn't know what to do with a group like UGK. I agree. I just think they wanted to water them down because they, they thought they would have more uh, commercial success if they watered them down a little bit. If you listen to what they did, to the first single, Tell Me Something Good, all those jerks and jumps. They just wanted to make it more available to the masses, but if they would have just left it like it was, it was going to get there. I mean, we sold 40,000 units on our own on cassettes and too much. How do you think, man, we was going to get there regardless? Exactly where they are. They was. I mean, they ended up at the end doing their own thing. They had group as artists so they could make it more better, but they didn't have to change. Jive just didn't really know what they had or how to use it. Exactly. Right. And I remember we had a, a discussion a good while back, and we we just kind of felt that uh, if Jive would have let UGK have that creative control, we would have gotten way more music from UGK than we did. I mean, are we satisfied with the five albums? being such big fans as but it seems like we could have gotten so much more from UGK as a group. Yeah. I feel that, too, but I, I think you really can't just blame Jive on that. I think, like, you have to blame the group, too, because if you're if you the producer and you're the orchestrator of the music, why is it taking you two to three years to do a record? It doesn't. You can't. You can't make five albums, take 10 years to do. You know, right. I know you, you got to do things and you're not happy with your contract. But as I tell, every artist I ever talk to, they're they never happy. And nobody's happy with money. I'm not happy with downloads, but I know this is the what I got to deal with. But if you just go on and do what you owe the company and don't take no more money, then you're done. And then you can go out and sign a better deal. But you can't just hold out and say, give me more, give me more, and I ain't going to give you the record. I mean, come on. How long should it take an artist to do an album if you only got a five-album deal and you've already gave them one? So it really took you 10 years to drop four albums because you already gave them the first one. right? And especially right. if you read right. the contract, if it say albums, it don't say five years. It don't say 10 years. It say five albums. So if you take the rest of your life to do them five albums, and you still don't do them. You still owe that company another record. So you know you gotta just if they all own five albums, I'm gonna be done in four years. If I got something to do with it, if I'm not happy, it was I signed with Ford. I said I wouldn't do an album deal. I did years. I get. I said I signed for two years. I didn't like it after I dropped the first things. We went on hiatus and we just dealt with our regular stuff we had, and then exactly on the two years was up. We drop some more records. I mean, that's what you have to do. You have to live up to the paper. It's not only for you. It's it's not, it's not just for them. It's for you and them. You just gotta do what's on that paper. Right. Yeah, because, You know, like they, like they say, you only get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. That's right. Cause yeah. they trying to get the most for their side, and you have to get the most for your side, and. And I'm not gonna say it was a great deal. It was. We was looking at the the money. We was young. It's your first experience, so you gonna make mistakes. I hate what those mistakes costed us. You know, but at the end, we didn't have to sign with them. We could have took the short way and just went on and did the Olo thing and stayed independent. We would have made more money. it have been a harder group, and we would have just we'd have been happier. But when you're rushing and somebody throwing those numbers at you, you're like, we're going to take this deal. And then here comes all other people trying to get involved in it. Yep. Yeah. But I definitely think, I think that, honestly, Jive probably holding songs that they didn't clear. That's probably really jamming. I know for a fact they're holding some songs, but it's like you can't clear the sample who they going to get to redo it. Bun probably don't want to do it. You know, it's just like, it's just probably going to sit there forever until somebody decides to go on and do it. Right. Yeah, and and speaking of that, when y'all had did, uh, you know, the first album, uh, Too Hard to Swallow, you know, they said that uh, some producers was brought in and they didn't... uh, so he couldn't produce the album, like produce it and mix it like he really wanted to and some some songs was dropped off the album, which ended up becoming the band album later on. Well, that wasn't that wasn't necessarily like that was partly true. We did need help completing the album, but it wasn't because Kemp couldn't do it. He wasn't making an effort to do it. Oh. But the band songs, Jive didn't want them because of the controversial na- nature of those songs. Pregnant P" and The Mother Ain't Mind. they didn't want no parts of that. But So when they were just going to just be like they were going to keep it, and I was like, well, shoot, can we get them back? And of course they said, if you buy them back. And I was oh, like, man, we're going to take it back. But we ended up having to pay fifteen grand for our two tracks they were going to throw away. But I mean, Still, the other day. So, what can you do? And Jai was cool with it, and to me, I looked at it as it would have been a great way for us to make extra money because Jai said, "Hey, if we this is all cool, y'all want to do this again? The ones we don't want, y'all can put them out again." But we was going, we would have ate all year long off that deal, but yeah. you know, unfortunately, you know, not too long after, we was we wasn't getting along good. Right. Right. And, and and another thing, what a lot of people don't know, you know, Software's wholesale has become one of the biggest distribu distributors uh in, in Texas. And but a lot of people don't know it was you and U G K Y'all helped pay that way. How how did that come about? Well, they actually bought some of the U G K as a favor to me because I had been a customer for a couple of years in my little shop I had in the flea market. And we moved units. So I was buying from them. So when I did my project, they actually wasn't there was no belief in it. They just said, Oh, give us a hundred, cause, you know, this little guy he buys from us all the time. We're gonna buy some of his. So they bought a hundred, called back in a couple of days, need a hundred. Then next thing you know, they was like, Hey, you know, let us get five thousand and and then next thing I know I met I met the owner. I never had met him before. In my three years of buying, I've seen him, but I had never sat down and talked to him. Next thing I'm in lunch with him, and then he kind of became, like, you know, my little advisor. And but me and Bun sat there with him. I mean, I never heard anything from him about the numbers. I mean, but at the end, they just, if you like I always tell people, if Bun is sitting right there with me, how am I cheating him if he's right there with me in the meeting? Right, right. Right. If you're sitting here hearing the talk, how do you believe I'm cheating? If you're with me every day before I had a right-hand man, man Bun was my right-hand man. So right. It's just, but it, I understand because there's things that, uh, with the falling out between us, that I could have did better, but I was young. I'm only 23 years old, too. And I was like, right. you know, I don't need them. I, don't, I never truly believed that that was the end of me if I lost them. So when things started going sour, I, I was on to the next thing. I'd already recorded Point Blank album. I had the band, and I was working. But, you right. know, when you lose your first group, it's kind of sets you back. It did set us back, though, what we was doing a few years. Right. Yeah, and um, when, when did you end up meeting SPC and putting on Point Blank and PSK 13. i met Point Point Blank Blank. uh, right after I completed UGK. Point Blank brought me an album done. That Prone to Bad Dreams was done. I didn't have to do nothing but pay the producers and record it, you know, for real in the studio. It was the same album. He came, all the songs was did. You know, we had to drop a couple because we couldn't get them did. But the whole album was done, Point Blank was probably one of the most prolific workers that I've worked with in the whole time. You give Blank his time, his date, he's going to get it done, always. And you didn't have to do nothing, no babysitting, he just did it himself. So I always like say, I was the luckiest guy in the world. I mean, my first projects was, they just fell into my lap. Right. And so when I when we finished uh, UGK's album for Jive, while we was recording their album, we was recording Point Blank album Okay. at the same time. So I basically was recording two projects at the same time. And uh, we got it done. And, you know, it was tough, you know, because Jive kept the samples. He couldn't use the samples. And at that time, young Pimp is sampling way more than he getting keys played and stuff. And we don't know no better, so we had already did it. Our first record, we sampled everything and put it out. You know, we, we didn't try and clear it until we realized we had something. Right. So now we're doing it, and Jive is like, "No, you can't use this." Send the song back, and that's what was frustrating for Pimp because he coming from Port Arthur to Houston to record, and you know, of course, you know artists they never making it on time, and I'm here booking studio times, and you getting charged next thing I know me and burn is trying to make tracks and making songs, you know? And I mean, they not pimp songs, but we was trying to get that album delivered. Right. So, you know, and the damn pimp came in and said, Hey, burn got a solo song. I need a solo song. And he did his, what he had to do. But I just think if we could have just worked it out a little better, I think the two hearts to swallow would have been a much better album. Right. You know, we had a lot of sample clearances. We had people that wasn't pimp trying to just. We was trying to get done what we we was obligated to do. And um, uh, you know, when when you started big time rappers, you know, rapper was in sw- full swing, making some moves. So, did y'all ever approach each other, you and Jay Prince, about doing in the business together? Jay called me, but uh. If uh, if this man is offering me this, and this man is offering me this, and he trying to beat that man, but you come in as late in the game, and just say you want them, but you're not matching the number, it's not an option for me. You know, it's not it's not even an option. I mean, it could have been better, probably something different if I'm in that organization or I'm already working with them. Of course, I would have. Probably did it over there, but to me it was like it was never an option. And then even when I we voted, me, Bun, and Chad, we voted where we wanted to go. I voted to stay independent. They Jive told them they was going on the tour with Two Short and left the know So they was they were sold. And you know that was just one of the things I learned about Jive would be they would be selling your dreams, man. And the, you know. Of course you when you're young, eighteen, seventeen, you know, you like you're gonna take the dream. And right. when they wanted to go with job, that's why I went with job. It was the best deal of me, oh, as far as the money, but I just felt like we would have made way more money if we was on our own. Right. Yeah. You know, and just uh, you know, and, and and too bad about that, you know, because like I say, even with the albums that y'all, that UGK did put out, I mean, they were such classics. And just imagine if y'all would have just had that full creative control to do what y'all wanted to do. Do what we want to do. Do it in the time we want to do it. And if if everything rolling, we happier, we probably doing double the work. You know, because when we yeah. were talking about it, the plan was for Pimp to always do the, Get over the production for big time, and you know it just it just started, man. You know the, the things that divide you just started, and that we just never could reel it back in. Where you had three guys that took a whole over like, almost two years to get this record done, and then we get it done, and we couldn't work out our differences or the misunderstandings that we was having just over it, and that bothers me to this day because. Then was my boys. Then when when I think of having my first little homeboys that I hang with, you know, for two years straight, we riding together, we talking about it, and we made it happen. But, you know, we didn't all get to laugh about it later. Which we laughed about it a few times when we talked, or whenever we always was together, it was always love, you know. But, you know, we just wasn't able to fix it. Right. And I think later, like, Pimp, talked to me and Pimp said, you know, that he regretted it too. And I regretted it too because my ego got involved and I knew that I was being wrongly accused. So that made me harden and be tougher than what I had to be. Right. And uh, Super Tight had, wasn't Super Tight originally supposed to have been a double disc album? That I don't know, man. I was totally shut out of all the recording. At that time, Went to get Super Tight done, I signed an agreement where I was telling Jive that I don't want nothing but my check. I signed a we was fifty fifty on the, that stuff. Jive sent me a check the next day, and they was re, they recorded that with Byron Hill. And um, I didn't I didn't I got the check. The next day I got a letter saying that I did not deliver the album in a timely manner and I was replaced from the group. On the contract because g k was on a production deal, you know big time was signed a job u g k was we just signed for the services of u g k oh right, right so we we they just said, oh, they're going to replace you on the contract and, and another thing was always the most bitter pill to swallow was that these dudes that you being a young dude that you invested your last in you I went around and begged people. See, you know how I many people I met here, that CD, that, that demo, after we recorded it, I could not get one person to give me a $1,000 to buy the post. Not one person. Everybody who heard it, nobody believed. I was starting to doubt it myself. And these dudes, we had a 14-point deal. To replace me, they signed themselves as an artist for a seven-point deal. So that means these dudes that I showed all this love to, they was willing to give up half of the money just to get rid of me, money that I already said, we fifty-fifty partners. So you giving away, you just threw away my half of the money just to get rid of me. Wow. And that, that's the part that just, I never was able to swallow that pill. And I barely ever talk about it, but it just bothers me. People keep always on the interview and talk about it, and it's just, it's a bitter pill to swallow. Right. Right. And so, from running a labor perspective, how was the business back then, as far as the industry goes, versus the way it is today? Yeah, honestly, I think it's artists are you know in a little better shape now because it's so much more. You got other avenues to making your money on your own. You know, I don't really. I'm not really a fan of the streaming system, but I'm a fan of. My music can get everywhere without the major labels. And I still can be making money. Back then, it was like you got to be in the major label system to really play the game. I don't. I can make that same Southern Way mixtape and it come out and it do the same thing. I'd be doing double or triple the numbers. And everybody buying it on their phones and pads and computers. But of course, more bootleggers are eating me up because they listen to it for free or feeling it and pressing it up felt, but, you know, got to take the good with the bad. But I wouldn't have had to sell to jive to want to get where I wanted to get. Right. But, and I think it's just, you know, people are a little more wiser. You know, some of us did took the hard knocks. So you, you know more. You're able to do more. You won't walk into a situation where you, You're sitting in the room talking to a lawyer, and you just yourself. Right. And, and, you know, dealing with UGK, you know, Mama West, she was a big part of the group, too. You know, how was it dealing with Mama West? I think it, I mean, it was great. It was something you could admire because somebody's mom was in there. But at the same breath, how can you really? How hard can you be on your business when you're being as a black man and you're talking to somebody else? Black mother, black men love their mamas. If you have all the most respect for mamas because a lot of us mamas raised us by themselves. So, it it made things hard when it's time when you're trying to resolve conflicts. Because how mad can you be when? You know, somebody' mama come on the phone and they cough and they might be a little sick and you're like, oh, are you all right? But I'm really mad because I'm trying to get my money straight. But then I'm, you know, I'm being nicer because you are somebody's mama and I got respect for my mama and she taught me how to respect somebody's mama. Right. But it was it was a great thing and it was a, it was you know, it was a tough thing. It's a, it's kind of a touchy situation at times. But I, have a, I really have respect for Mama West, though. Actually, the guy who cheated him, me, I took the mama to New York with me when we signed. Wow. And they, and she was right there, too, looking at the contracts and stuff as they came over. I didn't. This how I was being very open. I took everybody involved with me to New York. And at the end of the day, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, All right. Yeah, so along the way, uh, did y'all uh, bring in a lawyer? And they were saying, uh, how can I put it, when they started going over everything and then, you know, you was realizing that something just wasn't sitting right. Really, the uh, thing the person who was saying that first and foremost, was probably the most shadiest person that you could ever be involved with, which was Byron Hill, the so-called video director who was all in their ear when we shot the first video, tell me something good. And the same guy who sued him and got him in tax problems. I mean, it's just a person show you who they are. If people call and say, we did not get paid for filming this video and the company is saying we paid Byron, how do you make him your manager? Right. You know right. what you're going to get. You're going to get something shady. He's shady, you know, and he he never changed. Wow. And I don't know what happened to him. I just, I cut all communication with him. There was no reason for him to call me. Right. right. And he was the first person that started really saying, oh, y'all should be getting this and y'all should be getting that. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he was another reason why you holding the, the money up because you you making them do so much over the top of what you need, you know. I don't have to stay in the Crown Plaza if the another room right across the street is half the money, and it's, you know, it's cool. I believe in just get the work done at the best cost that you can, and that's what you do. I don't have to floss and do all that stuff while I'm doing something. And I think that was very instrumental in us surviving it, like we did with the artists we had after that. Because I can work a budget, and I'm gonna bring it in on budget. So, uh, and uh, around that time, when you know, big time Rapalot, lot and uh, swab house, you know, all y'all was making moves. How, how was the, the Houston music scene at that time? Man, it was great. You know, the whole scene was great because people listen. You know, they want to hear a new person. They want to say, I heard it first. So I, If you play something new in your shop, you know, people going to be like, who that is? You know, who's that man? And you show them, you know, the set, CD or whatever, and they, they make the choice from there, and they also believe the shop. With, with it being more record shops, a record shop owner can be like, I like this guy. This guy is selling a lot. And the people who buy will usually, you know, take his word and try it. Now, there's very few shops. And it's like people just got to go with what they like or what everybody else is getting. You know, so it, it was way better then, man. And I think it was cool. I mean, Ghetto Boys, Suave House was jamming, 8-Ball tealer, Loved all that. We was doing our thing. We had this. And then they were all catering to kinda of like we all hardcore underground but they all different. So it's like you can cater to whole different crowds. Exactly. So how did you end up hooking up with DJ Screw? And that was that was funny, man. We was at uh, we just needed to do a cheap record, man, and uh I had heard of screw tape because you know I still had the shop by then, and uh, I said, "Man, cheapest record we can do." I'm I'm gonna try and do a screw record, and so I put out, the, you know, the notice that I wanted to meet with him. And uh, when they came, I asked him what he needed to do it. And, you know, we we did the agreement, and we we got the stuff. And all that first record was was just big time songs. I don't even think we recorded a song to do, you know, to go on that record. We just took old records we had. Put the record out, and the expectations was real low. I was trying to sell like two thousand, man. We put the record out, and ended up selling like seventy thousand. And so I told him, I said, "Well, you know, that was really just a big time compilation. I want you to do your own record." And we, they, that's how we started on three, three in the morning. Yeah. And it was like, but three in the morning was just. By then, it was just, it was, it was big. You yeah. so, know. Three in the Morning is actually the biggest record we ever had. Oh so. Yeah, because Three in the Morning, it's a timeless classic, and that album was magic, man. And mm-hmm. So when Three in the Morning had dropped, what once again, uh, what was the atmosphere like when it dropped and it was getting so much play? And, you know, how, how ecstatic was everybody, especially you and DJ School. Oh man, we was man, we was in static just to get it done. It took us two years. It took us like two years. We did the rec, we did part one and part two, and before we could turn it in, we did the pre-orders, and the pre was over a hundred thousand. So we knew we couldn't do it because we hadn't cleared a sample or got the license and the none of the songs. So what I did was I met with my l- attorney and I met with an intellectual property attorney. And all I wanted to know was how much we was going to get to keep, and the property attorney said nothing. I said, oh, well, that ain't going to work. So we scrapped that, and we went back and did it the right way, and it ended up being all local people, but it still was a classic. Yeah. man, Screw screw can make magic, man. If you listen to them records, man, screw. At 3 in the morning, it just hits that point where it's like going, and it's cool, and then it hit that point where it just starts rising, and then. The music is rising with it, and so by the end, you know, by the time they go draped up and dripped out, you was like you was banging on the wall, you was caught. Yeah, and the record just sold and sold, man. After after DJ School had dropped three in the morning on Big Time, a couple of years later he ended up dropping All working No Play on Jam Down. So we was wonder how come he hadn't, didn't drop that on Big Time also. Well, probably because uh, you know screw never wanted to be signed exclusively to anybody, so he wanted to work with whoever he wanted to work with at the time, so even though we had him you know for another project he uh he wasn't signed to us exclusively, so you know I'm sure that the jam down stuff you know they was trying to ride it and catch a little bit too, so they did their own little thing i don't I just know it came out it was cool, you know. I, yeah. He just did it, but he wasn't signed to us exclusively, okay, yeah, so how was it working with Robert Davis from a business standpoint oh man it was it was cool, man, like i said it was it was it was an honor to work with him because I enjoyed what he put down at the end i I liked his mixing and the way he made the music feel a little different to me than it had originally sounded. It just was a little slow, but once you got it, it was well worth the wait. yeah, and so. Um, around this time, you had um, a lot of the independent labels that started popping up. You had Rex Shop, Chevy's Entertainment, Straight Profit, Swisher House, John Down Presidential, and all of them was distributed by Software's Wholesale, you know, when you helped pave that way. So, when all this was going on, when the labels was popping up and uh, the artists was really getting on, what was you doing around that time, far as running big time? Man, just basically maintaining the catalog, man. Because we had a couple of pieces that really demanded that we keep it in stock and have it all the time. And like I said, we was doing the mail order business, and probably in a little bit after that, about ninety seven, ninety eight, we started doing the parties. So we kind of was busy every week with the parties because we was throwing some pretty good parties every week. So we we just kept busy, man, doing stuff. And then I realized our parties were so successful. I just started filming them. And that's where we came up with the bands and the, the beach party DVDs and stuff. Oh, okay. We, just, so we always don't mind the way to we gonna find a way to keep something turning. How do you feel about the state of the music scene in Houston nowadays versus the way it was back then? Uh, Right now, I would just say we're at a very low point because our new talent is low. You know, you need new talent to keep it going. It's only so long we're going to keep watching 40 and 50-year-old men out here singing these same old (laughs) songs we've been hearing for 30 years. So, you know, we need some youngsters to come up and, you know, and represent the city. But one of the problems with the youngsters, they don't want to listen to any advice from any old heads. They think our way was the old way. But they still not listening. Even if you gonna change some things, you gotta to listen to somebody who did it before you. It's kind of like with your parents. They tell you stuff. I did live this life that you're trying to lead, you know. And we don't listen, and we bump our head, you know. If somebody gonna give me some game that's gonna help me not bump my head as much, I'ma try and listen, and I'ma still turn it and do my own thing. But I'ma remember that oh, I was told this before it happened. Right, you know. So, but you know, the young cats they feel that like we did something that was different, and they just go and it's kind of like a lot of the old heads can't really mess with the young cats because we're not really feeling the new music that much no more. So, it's kind of it's kind of tough, man. Yeah, it's that generational gap like we always talk about. Yep, I couldn't walk in the studio with somebody right now, and even if it was a new artist I wanted to work with, I couldn't. I mean, if he making a new stuff. I wouldn't even know if it's something I'm really into because I ain't into that new music like that. So I can't put my money behind something I'm not into, you know. So we just, a lot of us just doing other things. Right. So So I would love for us to have some jumping off. We need a couple more youngsters to start getting it going, man, because it's out there. Yeah. What was you when you heard that Pimp C had paid? I was actually at home, man, and uh, I just got a. Uh, I know when something bad happens because I've had the same number for like twenty four, twenty five years, and when my phone starts blowing up with the numbers that I ain't heard from in years, I pretty much know something bad happened that day, or something going on. Because you know, any any of my friends know I ain't pretty much going nowhere, so they're not gonna call me and say this happened So we was we going here, but if it's blowing up back to back, I know something bad happened, and you know when I answered it. I just heard it from a couple, multiple people. Man, I was just shocked, like the rest of us. You know, everybody else. I'm just like, wow. wow a good cat died young, man. Yeah, yeah, because you know it seemed like he had passed at the apex of his career, man. Because oh you know, yeah, Jonesy was really he really had some big plans. Yeah, he had big plans, man, and and the the world was. Was ready for him, man. They was they was ready just to see what them boys was gonna do, man. And to burn together and solos, man. Cause it's like everybody knew them now, so they it was just like you could have just picked and chosen. Shoot, made a gang of loot for the rest of his days, man. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, man, what you have going on nowadays? Ah, man, I'm kind of in that. Then I retired, just kind of, you know, like I said, I just managed my catalog and deal with the streams. And I, I started a site last year. I put the site back up and just make T-shirts. Still got a little shop in the flea market, man. That's pretty much it. Okay. Well, Obama, yeah. you got something you want to ask, man? Yeah. I mean, what were you when uh, DJ Screw passed? Uh Working, man. Just after, I think I was at the office when I heard it. Oh, man. Yeah. We we was really shocked because during that time, you know, I know he had moved into his little – had his little studio situation separated from his house and, you know, just heard the news, man. I thought it was tragic, man, because it kind of – when I think of these young guys passing, man, it always makes me reflect because, you know, I'm a guy that's – I've been kind of overweight a long time. But, you know, here I am. I'm about to be 50, and these guys going in 29s and 30s, I'm like, dang, how is that yeah. possible? You know, if a guy who ain't really took care of himself, you know, I'm still ticking. Yes, sir. You know, I, I always thought me a diet for about two or three days after that, but, you know, I fall off. But, you know, I just think everybody got their own different demons. So I'm worse than right. things on you. But that's, a, we was so, just talking about that, man, and my homie, the day at the shop, we were like, man, the man was number 29 years old, man. What could he have done? Yeah. Cause, you know, right. We was jamming three in the morning right at the shop a few minutes ago and was talking about that. Man. So it, It's just like screw and Kemp and mo and all of them, man. It all went too early. Yeah. Big yeah. mellow. Yeah. Big mellow, yeah, you know. I always love Big Mello. Me and Big Mello, well, at the time when I met B- Mello, I thought we were in college together. He was just there. I was in college at Texas Southern, so <laughs> I always love Mello, man. He's a cool dude, man. Very funny, man. Keep you laughing. Love That's is cool. his record to do on rap a lot. Hey, thank you. You got something you want to ask? Yes, uh, Russell. So um, you say you have a record shop now? I've always had a record shop. That was my first business when I was nineteen. But I okay. always operated out of King's Flea Market. And then when the, the city bought the old one last year—well, not last year, about about two and a half years now—and we just mm-hmm. moved across the street. So I Go wasn't ahead. gonna move in there. But the guy was—the owner was like, "Man, I got a little spot perfect for you." And I was like, eh, "I'm not really interested." But when I saw it, I was like, "Well, it could help me get rid of this stuff." I Got okay. tons of stuff I still need to liquidate as far as the catalog stuff. Uh, and um, what, what side of town is that on? Still over here, close to southeast, uh, on MLK and Griggs. Well, we on Griggs now. Oh, okay. So we we didn't we didn't move far. We just moved across the street. Right. It's just a much littler spot, you know. It's a third of the space, so. But you know, we don't need much space for cities, and you know, kings ain't that big no more. But mm-hmm. you know, still move. It's mainly just I try and operate the website. The website is the, the future and the interest thing for me right now, because people okay. think I can post it and they and they can order it, and I just drop it in the mail, and that's it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right, so Russell, where can everybody reach it? Oh man, they can they can hit me at a uh, you know fifty ninety Griggs in King's Best Market, you know, well, mall. Excuse me, King's Best Mall, booth number one twenty. I'm always here. They can get me on Facebook at Russell BCF Washington. Want to send in a shout out? Oh man, just shout out to the whole world, man. Any and everybody, man, that ever purchased some of the big-time stuff, listen to it now, even the dudes that bootleg it. You know, thank y'all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there you have it, hip-hop. Here's another hip-hop story told by another hip-hop legend. You ain't hear it for mothers because it didn't happen yet. So may old-school hip-hop live forever. Peace. Peace. Peace.